The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right when D.A. Willis announced that she was looking into this, you know, attempts to um, overturn the election results. She wrote letters to Governor Brian Kemp, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, our Attorney General and Lieutenant Governor, asking them to preserve documents as part of this probe. Basically, we're going to want these. Don't delete them. Don't shred them. And in that letter, she listed about a half dozen state laws that might have been broken by by Trump or his allies. You know, quite narrow ones like criminal solicitation to commit election fraud that carry with it up to one to three years in prison if somebody commits a felony, all the way to racketeering, which is super broad. And if somebody's found guilty of that, that's five to 20 years in prison. I'm Tyler McBrien, Managing Editor of Lawfare. And this is the Lawfare Podcast, July 18th, 2022. Earlier this month, the Fulton County Special Grand Jury investigating potential criminal interference into Georgia's 2020 elections subpoenaed members of former President Donald Trump's inner circle, including Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, and Senator Lindsey Graham, among others. To discuss these high-profile subpoenas and some of the finer points of Georgia state criminal procedure, I sat down with Tamar Hallerman, reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who is covering the Fulton County Trump probe and who also formerly served as the paper's Washington correspondent covering the Trump administration. Tamar also hosts a weekly podcast on the special grand jury called The Breakdown. We discuss the scope of Fulton County DA Fannie Willis's criminal probe, how a special grand jury operates in the state of Georgia, what this one has been up to, and what's next for the investigation. It's the Lawfare Podcast, July 18th, 2022. What's up with the Fulton County special grand jury? So the motivation for this interview was actually a few internal questions from the Lawfare editorial staff that coalesced around the same theme of what the heck is going on with the special grand jury. So I think a good place to start is just definitionally, what is the special grand jury and what is it up to right now? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on, Tyler. I really appreciate it. Um, And it is this kind of wonky thing that I've had to kind of learn on the fly as this whole process has unfolded. Um, The district attorney down here in in Fulton County in Atlanta launched an investigation into, um, you know, potential criminal interference in Georgia's 2020 elections. And she did that in, in February 2021. And we really didn't hear a lot from her for a really long time as she kind of assembled a team and started kind of talking to friendly witnesses, compiling information. 
Uh, back in January, she sent a letter to a local judge here mentioning that she had a substantial number of witnesses who refused to talk to her and her investigators unless they got a subpoena. And she decided that, first of all, there was such a critical mass of them and that this investigation was getting complicated enough that she wanted to a, a dedicated special grand jury here in Fulton County, rather than going through one of our regular grand juries. Um, you know, these are grand juries that are happening all the time. They meet, you know, in two month stretches. They hear a zillion fel- felonies, everything under the sun from murder, murder to arson to kidnappings. And they're hearing, you know, sometimes dozens of cases a day when they meet. What she wanted when she requested this special grand jury, our our DA, Fonnie Willis, she wanted a dedicated group of folks, um, 23 of them to be exact, who would only focus on this single case. And they wouldn't disband after two months. They could be there for as long as she needed them. So she made this request to a Fulton County, uh, our superior court here locally. That request was quickly granted. Uh, The special grand jury was seated in May, and beginning in June, they started hearing in-person testimony from a whole bunch of witnesses from all over the political spectrum here in Georgia, not only on the state and local level, but now they're starting to get into folks who live outside of Georgia. This special grand jury is also different from a regular grand jury in that they can't issue indictments. What they can do is issue subpoenas. They have a lot of kind of special investigative powers that allows them to kind of gather a lot of evidence and really dig in on this single case. So you, you were kind of getting at some of the, the motivations that DA Fonnie Willis had in requesting this grand jury. I wanted to get into some of the criminal procedure, and I can assure you many of our listeners' ears just perked up at the word criminal procedure. Can you walk us through the process from when DA Willis launched the criminal probe and and then requested this grand jury from the from the judge and sort of what you know what is the judge considering what, whether or not to grant the grand jury and and then what happens after that yeah i mean in terms of of kind of why she requested it in the first place as i mentioned in in this letter that she wrote to fulton superior court judges she mentioned she was having problems um getting folks to talk to her willingly and that she needed subpoena power another issue that's kind of been an ongoing one in Fulton County. And another reason why she wanted to request this special grand jury is here, like in so many other big jurisdictions around the country, we've developed this giant backlog in criminal cases that's been mostly a result of of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, There were months when, you know, there, there weren't really kind of jury cases happening in Georgia. And so those have been piling up. DA Willis has also mentioned what she describes as kind of rampant mismanagement by her predecessor, Paul Howard. Um, you know, she was sworn in in uh, the early days of 2021. He'd been in office for 24 years. And so she mentioned having this giant backlog of 10, you know, more than 10,000 cases kind of that she needed to get through. So the whole idea was that, you know, she said she didn't want to take away from the kind of regular grand juries, the ones, like I said, who are doing murders and fires and kidnappings and that sort of thing. She wanted to kind of keep them kind of humming along on those cases while also not forgetting about this other criminal investigation that she launched in February 2021 looking at folks like Donald Trump and his allies and their efforts to um, question Georgia's election results. Um, so, you know, the the, uh, the majority of the bench here in Fulton County, our superior court, agreed with her. They, they said, 
yeah, absolutely go ahead in, in January. We're really curious, you know, what DA Willis's interaction is with the, the special grand jury once it's launched. Um, you know, I, from what I understand, this grand jury will sit for up to a year. Um, they'll issue their own report, which we'll get into after. But, you know, in the interim, what is uh, DA Willis's interaction with them? Yeah, it's very different. It's not like kind of a, a trial in a courtroom or anything like that. There's not defense attorneys who go in there. Prosecutors act almost as kind of the attorneys for the grand jury. They kind of help guide the grand jury. You know, the grand jury, they're the ones who are approving of subpoenas, not only for witness testimony, but for documents. And podcast, or sorry, podcasters, prosecutors are... Um, you know, are, are kind of sharing with them, you know, here's what we've uncovered so far. We've hit a brick wall. We really need testimony from this person who won't talk to us. Would you be willing to consider a subpoena for, for them? And so all of this is happening behind closed doors. We have no idea kind of what's being said. You know, the prosecutors are kind of leading them, you know, here's, here's what we've gotten so far. Um, here's what we think could be helpful. But really, it's up to the grand jury kind of deciding who they want to hear from, what types of information they might want to get. And talking to former prosecutors in the Atlanta area, folks who have had special grand juries of their own, they say they really kind of take on personalities of their own. Um, and often because these folks are meeting so regularly, um, in the case here in Fulton County, they've been meeting mostly three times a week. Folks get really involved in these cases. They develop minds of their own. You know, some prosecutors might kind of want to lead the jury in one direction, but sometimes folks will say like, no, I, I really want to talk to this person. As witnesses start being brought in, uh, prosecutors are mainly the ones asking questions, but jurors are allowed to ask questions as well. And as I've talked to witnesses who've come in and spoken to the special grand jury, they say jurors have been involved in, in kind of asking them questions. Um, as the special grand jury votes on things like subpoenas for witnesses and documents, those votes are being taken place privately, which means prosecutors are not in the room as that's happening. So they don't know who is, is saying yes or no for individual subpoenas. Um, and as I mentioned, when witnesses come before the special grand jury, there's no defense attorney in there with them to kind of strike down questions um, or, or anything like that. This is not the same as a as a trial with kind of a jury watching examination and cross-examinations happening. This is very much kind of an investigative fact-gathering phase of this investigation. Nobody has been indicted yet. There's no criminal charges on the table yet. Um, they are strictly gathering information at this point. Well, first, I want to say that's one of the best Freudian slips we've ever had because a jury of our peers would indeed be podcasters. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I, this this may be reading tea leaves a bit at this point, but do you have a sense of the specific Georgia state criminal statutes that they may be looking at? We do. And we got that in February 2021, actually, right when D.A. Willis announced that she was looking into this, you know, attempts to um, overturn the election results. She wrote letters to Governor Brian Kemp, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, our Attorney General and Lieutenant Governor, asking them to preserve documents as part of this probe. Basically, we're going to want these. Don't delete them. Don't shred them. Anything like that. And in that letter, she listed about a half dozen state laws that might have been broken by by Trump or his allies. One of them is criminal solicitation to commit election fraud, which I understand is a provision that that's maybe more unique to Georgia, or there really isn't a great kind of federal parallel to that. 
Um, some of the others that she listed, intentional interference with the performance of election duties, conspiracy, and the one that caught my eye immediately, racketeering. Um, you know, these RICO laws that were put in place decades ago to go after members of the mob, um, but have been used here in Georgia to go after figures as diverse as Atlanta public school teachers and the Boy Scouts. Um, you know, so so kind of many directions she can go in, you know, quite narrow ones like criminal solicitation to commit election fraud that carry with it, you know, up to one to three years in prison if somebody commits a felony, all the way to racketeering, which is super broad and can pull in all sort of uh, kind of predicate acts. And if somebody's found guilty of that, that's five to 20 years in prison. So should she decide to press charges against folks? And we don't know what the DA is going to do at the end of the day. She also has choices to make. Does she want to go very kind of narrowly tailored or does she want to go for something super broad but potentially riskier given this that you just mentioned uh da willis's letter and you know her her expansive use of racketeering in the past perhaps i think it might be a good time to pause and 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 if you could just tell us a bit about fanny willis you know who she is and um and maybe a bit about how she's been handling this criminal probe. I think one thing that's um, distinguished her so far is her some of her willingness to to appear in the media and to, to speak with reporters and and go on TV and give interviews. Um, so if you could just briefly tell us about uh, Fani Willis. Yeah, she's a, a veteran prosecutor down here in Georgia. Uh, she worked in the Fulton DA's office for almost twenty years uh, before she ran for for DA herself against a against her former boss Paul Howard, who who I mentioned a little earlier. And you know, she's really known as a no nonsense kind of workaholic um, who will kind of put her head down and do everything that she can to win. As she likes to say, she doesn't she doesn't like to try cases skinny. She's going to be as well-versed in the law, kind of walking into a courtroom as she can be. You know, she wants to know all possible scenarios, everything kind of relevant that can help her. And she's kind of known as a, a fearless lady. She became really well-known here in Georgia back in 2014. There was a cheating scandal that, that broke in the press down here involving Atlanta public school teachers and administrators who were changing test results, uh, standardized test results for different children. Um, it was a really big deal. And Fonnie Willis ended up getting assigned to the case a little bit late, but she took what was kind of a really novel strategy. She used RICO laws, kind of racketeering provisions to go after these school teachers and kind of show that this was part of a giant kind of broader conspiracy to help protect this institution that is Atlanta public schools. And the gambit worked. You know, she was able to secure guilty, um, you know, she, she was able to, to secure convictions for almost a dozen public school teachers and administrators. Um, and she's really proud of that. You know, there still are some corners of the community here in Atlanta, especially kind of more historically black sections of the sections of the city that are still upset by that ruling. They think she went too far, but DA Willis really defends what she did. And as I've talked to her about this particular case, this Georgia elections case, she's kind of brought up on her own, you know, I'm not scared of using racketeering laws. I, you know, she she knows that it's kind of a complicated thing, but she also keeps saying I'm very comfortable with that. And you've seen kind of something similar recently here, another case, another high profile case her office is working on, the Young Thug case involving the the, the street gang Young Slime Life that he has been involved in. Um, you know, she charged him, Young Thug and and 
many of his colleagues using racketeering laws. So that's something that she's brought up kind of over and over again. And it's certainly something I'm watching as well, kind of going ahead to this. And as you mentioned, Tyler, you're you're absolutely right. She has been really kind of media friendly and and kind of talkative about what she's up to. You know, she's not confirming kind of who she's bringing in. She has been a little more coy when it talks when she's talking about her specific interests when it comes to this case. But overall, she has been kind of quite open talking kind of more broadly about what she's trying to do and how she refuses to be intimidated by folks like Donald Trump or any politician who's kind of going to label her as a partisan hack. Yeah, it's really interesting. I remember reading a, a quote from her, I believe, in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that she said, you know, when she re- when she heard about the phone call with Raffensperger, she, she kind of hoped that maybe he lived in Macon or something and not Fulton County, but obviously that was not the case. And, you know, it sounds like maybe she was she was uh, ready for this investigation. I want to jump back into the the investigation itself that the that the special grand jury is undertaking and, and a bit about the subpoenas. I think a lot of our listeners would have seen the headlines of the high profile subpoenas of Rudy Giuliani, Lindsey Graham, John Eastman. Um, can you talk a bit about the subpoena process? Uh, what sort of legal fights you anticipate seeing uh, with these witnesses and maybe who else they might subpoena as well? Sure. Well, I think, first of all, it's kind of worth putting folks in two different categories. The subpoena process for people living inside the state of Georgia, which is much easier and straightforward. Um, And then the folks who live outside the state, the folks who are definitely closer to Donald Trump, the folks who she started subpoenaing this last week. And technically what she sent, they, they weren't technically subpoenas. They're called certificates of material witness. They used to be known as material witness subpoenas, and they essentially fun- function in a, in a similar way, but there's a bunch more steps that have to be taken in order for it to basically become a, a subpoena that's enforceable. She basically has to get this approved by a, a judge in Fulton County, which she did, Judge Robert McBurney, and he has been kind of assigned to oversee this case at the beginning of, of the process. Um, so he approved them, you know, he agreed that these folks, you know, Rudy Giuliani, Lindsey Graham, Cleta Mitchell, that they were quote, necessary and material witnesses for this investigation, meaning the testimony that they could provide to the special grand jury is essential to kind of their underlying mission. You know, they are, it's extremely important basically that they come in and they wouldn't be able to get this testimony from anybody else. That certificate of material witness is then sent to the home state of all these folks wherever they may live. So for Rudy Giuliani, it's being sent to New York. In John Eastman, it's being sent to New Mexico. And then it kind of, you know, there's a hearing in their home states where basically these folks in front of a judge in their local jurisdictions can try and challenge it. They can try and argue, no, we're not necessary witnesses. No, there's a hardship. I don't have the time to be able to go down to Georgia to testify, you know, for for a long period of time. They could even try and make arguments about how, you know, th- their privilege, there might be attorney-client privilege, there might be executive or legislative privilege in there. They can also try and make that that case there. It's also possible they can make that case um, should they be compelled to come down to Georgia as well. Um, so kind of a, a complicated process, but DA Willis is kind of making the calculation that it's still worth it. You know, she still needs that testimony and able to to move forward in this investigation. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I think one place where the Georgia special grand jury, uh, its nuances maybe shine through is when the grand jury wraps up and what happens next. Could you walk us through a bit of the end game of the grand jury and, and then what happens after that? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, you know, this Fulton County panel of judges, the ones who approved this special grand jury back in January, kind of the the one thing they tasked this special grand jury with was the fact that at the end of their service, uh, you know, in May 2023 or before, whenever it ends, um, that they write, it's called a special presentment or basically a report, a list of recommendations at the end of their service. Um, you know, they they kind of take you know take a step step back, take in everything that they've kind of learned during their their service, and basically recommend to the DA whether or not she should be pressing charges against whoever the target of the investigation may be. We don't know who that target is. We're kind of assuming it's Donald Trump or the folks in his orbit, you know. And and based on everything they learned during this process, they could say, hey we don't think there's enough for you to indict anyone. Or they could say, hey, we we think you have enough to kind of go after certain people. Um, if they don't want to, if they don't believe there's enough to indict, that report eventually becomes public. If not, it doesn't, if they are recommending charges, it doesn't immediately become public. So that's kind of something to keep under your hat. If we don't have a an answer really close, you know, after their service ends, you know, we can kind of assume a little bit that they are recommending charging somebody, but ultimately the decision on whether to pursue an indictment rests with DA Willis. She can go against the recommendations of the special grand jury, but it certainly gives her political cover should she choose to agree with them. So just to clarify, after the special grand jury issues their report to DA Willis, does she then have to convene another grand jury that does have indictment powers or Am I misunderstanding that process? My understanding is that only if she wants to indict someone, would she go then to a regular grand jury? Um, The one I told you here is, you know, the ones that hear a million cases with murders and arsons. She would then go before them, them, present, you know, kind of maybe a summary of what the special grand jury has done or, or kind of an abridged version of that and then pursue an indictment that way. So, like I said, the special grand jury does not have indicting powers. They cannot do that. Great. And and you mentioned that maybe they would hand over uh, or, or D.A. Willis would hand over uh, an abridged version or a summary. Does that, should the, the grand jury convene, would that grand jury then have access to all the materials that the special grand jury collected or simply the report or the summary? You know, I'm not actually sure the answer to that question. I would assume they would have that access if they requested it, but I don't know the answer to that. Fair enough. And one thing we're also curious about is 
is how D.A. Willis's calculation of whether or not to indict Trump may differ from, say, Merrick Garland's or the, or the DOJ. Does she have the same sort of national interest consideration away alongside the strength of evidence like the DOJ does? Or is she, you know, simply looking at Georgia state uh, criminal statutes? I mean, yes and no. We're talking about a state level investigation here. She's looking at state laws. Merrick Garland is looking at national laws. And there are differences kind of in the statutes here in Georgia and what Merrick Garland has to look at at a federal level. As I mentioned, the criminal solicitation to commit election fraud law is kind of unique here in Georgia. Our racketeering laws on the state level, I understand, are broader than what exists on the federal levels. We also have kind of specific circumstances here. You know, Merrick Garland has to consider so many things that have happened, you know, before, during, and after January 6th as he looks at everything. D.A. Willis is looking at a much narrower set of circumstances. She also has audio tapes of many of these conversations. Kind of what sparked it all was the leaked audio from this conversation between Donald Trump and our Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Um, Not only that, you know, Merrick Garland has to consider precedent here and kind of what sort of precedent would be set by having, you know, the administration kind of go after the preceding administration and kind of what that means. You know, there's lots of talk about how this is the United States of America. We're not some banana republic that's going to prosecute folks once they leave office. And so I think he has to really grapple with these larger questions. And to a smaller extent, extent, D.A. Willis has to do the same, but it's a little more kind of practical here. Yes, she needs to kind of decide, does she want to be this the local prosecutor that goes after this giant fish, the former president of the United States? There's no precedent here. There's no former U.S. president who's ever been charged with a crime. And I mean, it would instantly be historic if she were to do that. But some considerations she has to kind of look at that Merrick Garland doesn't have. I, I mean, financially, this is a local district attorney. She has a very finite amount of resources. And the federal government, DOJ, has magnitudes more money than than the Fulton DA could ever you know, dream of. And a criticism that she's gotten throughout this process, even from fo- folks who identify as liberal or, or Democrat, is that you know, already there's this giant surge of crime in in Fulton County that she needs to deal with. I mentioned earlier in our conversation this backlog of cases here in Fulton County. There's a very real risk to her if she did decide to indict Donald Trump or someone in his orbit. You know, do you, it opens her up to criticism. Is that the best use of taxpayer resources that are limited? And I could see that potentially being an issue for her in 2024 as she runs for re-election. And speaking of resources and capacity and the ability to conduct a wide-ranging investigation, I think one of one of the elephants in the room for this conversation uh, is the, the January 6th committee hearings. Can you speak a bit about how D.A. Willis's investigation and now the special grand jury interacted or not with the January 6th hearings? Sure. Well, they, you know, these investigations, for the most part, have been kind of running in parallel over this last year or so. But it does feel like they're starting to kind of move closer and closer together. And we know that the January 6th committee has been sharing information with D.A. Willis. There are certain things that Congress has access to, or at least much easier access to, that maybe would take prosecutors in, in Fulton County much longer to get a hold of. And so 
that I think has been helpful to her. And lawyers that I talked to say that some of the information that was uncovered in many of these hearings, especially when it comes to kind of speaking to what Donald Trump and his inner circle knew and when they knew it, that can be very helpful to the DA should she decide to to kind of pursue charges, but in establishing criminal intent, which is kind of a bedrock requirement for any of any of these crimes that I have mentioned, you know, violations of state law. So a lot of that really helps her. And there are similar interests that the January 6th committee and Fulton prosecutors have. Um, you know, the the slate of alternative Republican electors, Georgia was one of those states that had a sham ceremony of Republican electors. Um, you know, that's of interest to the January 6th committee. You know, they brought in our Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and his deputy, Gabe Sterling. They brought in a, a former U.S. attorney, B.J. Pack, who resigned really abruptly in the days leading up to January 6th. All of that kind of certainly helps, even though she already did interview those folks on her own. Um, I was surprised. I spoke with with D.A. Willis last week, and she mentioned, you know, I my working assumption was that everything that's been happening in these hearings has kind of really helped her establish intent, helped her kind of solidify all that stuff should she decide to to charge folks. She actually said there was nothing in the hearing so far that that really kind of changed the game for her, which surprised me a bit. You know, as someone who's watched this and reported on this for for a while now, what do you think that the type of accountability that what do you think is the type of accountability that that DA Willis is after with this process and and how might it differ from the January 6th hearings or or a potential DOJ investigation? I mean, she talks about it in very like a very literal sense. You know, she she says she's not scared to indict somebody like a Donald Trump if she can kind of prove that she broke the law. But the way kind of the way that she looks at it, she says she likes to get these giant kind of sticky note things that she can kind of like stick on the wall and literally write down the letter of the law in Georgia. So whatever state law we might be talking about, criminal solicitation to commit election fraud. Here's what the statute said. You have to meet these three elements. And then she'll kind of walk through with her her prosecutors and say, okay, do we have pieces of, of evidence that kind of speak to these three elements that need to be there? So she's quite literal kind of the the way that, that she's looking at it. Um, and so, I mean, that's kind of the way that she has framed it to me. Like she said, she's not scared to go after anyone if she feels like they've violated the law. As I mentioned a little earlier, certainly this isn't a small thing either on the local level, right? She would be the David going after the Goliath. And I think there's a lot of fear, you know, prosecutors in general tend to be a little more conservative. They don't want to stick their neck out if they're worried they're, they could potentially lose or if they don't kind of have it in the bag. And so certainly there is a giant risk should she decide that she does want to, you know, pursue charges against Donald Trump or, or anyone in his orbit. At the same time, should she do it, she'd kind of instantly become this international celebrity, this household name, especially for folks who really were unhappy with the way that Trump governed when he was president. So it still is a giant decision and um, one that I'm sure she's not taking lightly. And before we wrap up, is there anything else that you think people who are who are watching Fulton County around the country should be paying attention to? I mean, she, if Trump is the target, 
you know, and you kind of picture an investigation like a giant pyramid, right? And Trump would be the tippy top. It seems like she's kind of reaching the top of the mountain. You know, it's one thing to talk to local folks in Georgia, um, even our governor, even our secretary of state. But now we're starting to pierce Trump's inner orbit. You know, we're, we're talking about Rudy Giuliani, his personal attorney. We're talking about John Eastman, who spent so much time with the president in the, the days following the election. We're talking about Lindsey Graham, one of his closest allies in the U.S. Senate. I wonder where we go from here. Does she stop with Giuliani? Does she try and get closer? Does she try and go, for example, for the Trump children? Does she try and go for like a Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff? How much further does she climb? You know, and she told me as recently as last week that she's not taking subpoenaing Donald Trump off the table. She's she's open to that if she thinks it could be helpful. But the further up she goes, up this this pyramid, the more challenging it's going to be. Already, she's going to be dealing with issues of attorney-client privilege, legislative privilege with this last group who she subpoenaed. You know, Lindsey Graham has already filed a motion motion to quash his subpoena. There's going to be a hearing in, in Charleston, South Carolina next week, um, kind of looking into that. And so it's going to be hard for her to hear testimony from those folks. It's going to be a real fight. Is the fight worth it for her to get even closer to Donald Trump? If that's on a cliffhanger, I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> Tamar Hallerman, thank you so much for taking the time to, to explain the special grand jury with us. Thank you for having me. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and other Lawfare podcasts by becoming a Lawfare material supporter at patreon.com lawfare. You'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our other podcasts, including Rational Security, Chatter, and our latest Lawfare Presents series on the government's response to January 6th, The Aftermath. Check out our written work at lawfareblog.com. And while you're at it, buy some Lawfare swag at thelawfarestore.com. The podcast is edited by Jen Patia Howell, and your audio engineer this episode was Kara Schillen of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always... Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.